You want to know why you're all fucked up? What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Welcome to That's Deep Bro. Thank you for downloading this episode. I'm your host, Christina P. Big week, man. This is it. I'm in the final countdown. I'm getting ready to record this uh, special. It's the culmination of like fucking how many years? (laughs) Like 14 years of being a comic, which is bananas. But I'll I'll talk. I'll get get into that later. I I just want to plug these last few dates, June 16th. Oh, we passed that already. Never mind. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I'm getting uh, senile. Uh, June 22nd, I'm running the the hour for the very last time. It's the night before the night is what we're calling it at Flappers Comedy Club in the YooHoo room. Get your tickets at thousandranch.com. Also, Amazon, please do your shopping using my banner. Uh on uh, thatsdeeprobodcast.com. And July 9th, we are doing your mom's house live in Irvine at the Irvine Improv. Get your tickets to that. Uh, and then in West Palm Beach, we're doing it too in the summertime, I believe. I want to August 22nd. I hope I have that right. God damn it. God damn it. I don't fucking know if that's right. It is. It's got... No, August 23rd, West Palm Beach. And beyond that, I cannot look any farther. You know what I mean? I gotta take it. I gotta take it one day at a time, like they say in uh, in AA. Okay. I'm so excited to introduce uh, our sponsor for today's show. Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh. I am a huge fan of having boxes of food delivered to my home. And what I love about HelloFresh is um, because I'm on a a diet, I'm on a a thing, you know what I mean? And I I have to have meals that are nutritionally solid. And what I love about HelloFresh is that they employ two full-time dietitians to make sure that every meal is nutritionally balanced. You know, because a a lot of times, yes, it's convenient, but are you really getting uh, everything you need in your daily stuff? And also what I love about HelloFresh uh, the home delivery meal service is that uh, it's 30 minute meals. And I'm not saying the food's not ready. I implied that. I'm saying that it comes delivered to your door. Uh, you get the ingredients. They come in separate boxes every meal. So it's all self contained, which is super, super easy. And there's three different boxes. You get the classic box, you got your veggie box, you got the family box. You can do three, four, or five different meals per week for two or four people, which I absolutely love. Um, we got ours in uh, in the mail, and I cooked a lovely. Let me see. It was a pan seared pork chop, holy moly, with uh, apple compote, spinach salad, and crispy shallots. <laughs> now, what I love about that is that that is right on point with the particular type of diet that I'm on, and I think that's really a unique thing about HelloFresh is uh, is that you can kind of tailor it to to what you got going on. Uh, I absolutely love it. Very intuitive, fresh, natural ingredients, 
Meals are less than $10 each. That is ridiculously cheap when you think about what you spend on going out or even on fast food. Why? Why do that to yourself? HelloFresh offers light summer meals and has just introduced breakfast options, which I'll tell you other um, food kit delivery services do not do that as far as I know. So I, I really am excited to try their breakfast option because I absolutely loved um, the pork chops that we have done so far. It was so, so fantastic. So uh, yeah, give it a try. Here's what you do for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com and enter BRO30. Again, that is HelloFresh.com. Enter promo code BRO and then the number 30. Check it out. I think they're really uh, very innovative, very cool, very exciting. I love everything. It was super easy to make. I love that everything came in, in its own little package, right? There's three meals that I got in the box and they all came self-contained, which is very helpful. Anyway, give it a shot. HelloFresh. Thank you for sponsoring. That's Deep Pro. I appreciate you. And that's it. That's it for... Uh, for the, uh, uh, the the sponsors of today's show, what is going on with me? My brain is, um, you know, I because I I normally record the show in the first half of the day, and I slept ten hours last night, which is a miracle, which I, I, it hasn't happened in I don't know uh, two years. So now my brain has actually atrophied from having adequate sleep, nutrition. Um, exercise isn't that great? Because I've been running on like marine fumes for the last two years, and. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Let's go. I'm fucking pumped. I got my, um, I got some fucking x-ray specs. Let's do it. (laughs) Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... That's Deep Pro. Uh, thank you for watching on YouTube. If you you can now do that, if you want to see me talk to myself in a beautiful uh, studio, you can watch me do that. My YouTube channel is now named, I believe, just Christina P. We're whittling down the name, goddammit, it, after years of going back and forth 
And uh, just, I can't take it anymore. Pajitsky is a beautiful last name, uh, the proud lineage of Hungarian blood, sweat, and tears. But man, it has wreaked havoc on um, people trying to find me on a Google search or just uh, poor M- every poor son of a bitch MC that's had to bring me up over the last 14 years with that name. It's been a fucking nightmare. And hearing it butchered, you know, oh my God. And anybody who's got a last name other than Smith or Jones in this country knows what I'm talking about because uh, I hear, you know, I my last name is also Segura. Uh, and man, I call up some fucking whatever credit card company or whoever. And thank you, Mrs. Seguera. Like really? Especially in California where the majority of us are Spanish speakers. You motherfucker never heard Segura and it's pretty goddamn phonetic. It's, it's all phonetic and God damn it. It really just, are Americans that, uh, white, right? Are we that honkified? I guess so. Um, anyway, the song that I played that you can't hear on YouTube, I just, I played X-Ray Specs. Uh, Polystyrene was the lead singer. She's dead now. But that song, uh, oh, it's called Oh Bondage Up Yours. And I heard that when I was like 13 years old on a cassette tape, of course, old school. And it just blew my mind into a million pieces because A, it was a woman. It was a lady punker and not many lady punkers. I, I liked all the, the boy bands. I loved The Clash. I love fucking uh, Generation X. I loved, you know, all the classics, all the dudes. Dude, Dead Kennedys, loved it, loved it. And um, it's, all, it's usually guys. So when I heard Polystyrene, I was so excited and I found, a, you know, an old VHS video of her singing in her fucking crazy Dayglo outfits. And... Polystyrene, here you go. If you want a fucking new hero in the world. Okay, number one, she was 18 years old when she was when she was singing that song. 18 to do something that cool and become hugely successful at it. Um, number two, she's a woman of color. And back then they weren't saying that phrase. You didn't you didn't fucking know what people look like, really. I mean, unless they were on television or you saw them in print somewhere and you just fuck, you didn't know anything about the bands you liked um, until the internet. Now I can see everything. I know I know everything about everybody. She's a woman of color. She had braces, which was bananas to see her like such a little girl singing that crazy song and giving interviews and braces. And I'm just reading now on Wikipedia. I had no clue, but she was bipolar. So for any of you motherfuckers out there who are like, I got too many disadvantages. Oh, and by the way, uh, raised by a single mother in Bromley, which a lot of my heroes are from, interestingly enough, Bromley in uh, Kent, England. I believe Susie Stew of Susie and the Banshees is also from Bromley. Uh, yeah, single mom, no dad. Uh, had uh, She was bipolar, <laughs> probably couldn't rub two nickels together growing up. I'm guessing usually punkers don't come from a lot of wealth and had an amazing voice an amazing range. So if you got, you got problems, polystyrene had more problems and she uh, transcended her background and her heritage and everything else. And I fucking love that. There you go. Okay. So yeah, I'm wrapping up to shoot my special. Now we're in the final countdown. This is like, you know, a week and change to go and I'm, I'm really, really calm, eerily, eerily calm. And I was telling Tom the other day that I'm a little scared that I'm not scared, if that makes sense. And, and he's like, well, yeah, you know, you kind of, you kind of waited a long time to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I kind of did. And, and, uh, 
I've been doing comedy for 16 years and I didn't take the leap of faith into becoming a full-time comedian until I was 32 years old. Now I did stand up locally in LA during the nighttime, you know, I'd have like a day job writing on some show or something. And then I would go do stand up in the clubs at night, but I did not take the leap of faith until I was 32 years old. So what that means is I didn't really go hard and go full time until that late in my life. So kind of makes sense that I, I fucking, I'm a late bloomer guys. And, but I thought to myself, you know what, what a wonderful, uh, what a blessing in the skies, as I've heard people say to me, <laughs> what a wonderful blessing up there that I, I had the opportunity to wait a little bit longer just because, I mean, uh, I think I would have had a panic attack. I would have diarrhea all over myself if I were given a special, uh, you know, maybe 10 years into the game. So I, 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 I just put it out there as a, a blessing to people who are anxious about not being where they want to be in life yet. And I, for me, Hey, and not that I was all fucking Zen about this over the last years. I was not, I was very impatient, very upset and did a lot of things, frankly, uh, that were very self-sabotaging in me getting this special, just so you know, mama, mama P worked through her stuff, but um, but, but to anybody, like I said, that may be, uh, maybe frustrated right now with where you're at creatively or in your career, or what, what have you just know that sometimes time is a wonderful, wonderful buffer and a wonderful blessing. Um, just because it, there's more time to prepare. There's a reason mama P is calm in these, you know, uh, we can change leading up to something like this because, uh, she already been there a few times. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I feel like I've been around and not to say that the day before I won't be out of my mind and the day of, I'll probably be out of my mind, but, uh, I've had enough preparation with anxiety. I've had enough experience now where I feel competent at what I do. And, um, and I look back and I'm so thankful for not getting what I wanted. Mm many times in my life, right? I mean, how many times have you looked back and you're like, oh, wow, am I glad that guy did not propose to me? Or, you know, am I glad I didn't take that gig? Whoa, look what happened over there, or, uh, right? All these things that you think are such a tragedy at the time and, and you, you live your life and you go, oh, that's because that was supposed to happen a bit later. Uh, you know, there were opportunities for me to shoot things in the past and I I could have taken them, but the deals were really, uh, just to spare you the boring details, but the, the deals weren't great. And I just thought, you know what? If I hold out one day, one day, and it was painful. It was so hard to say no. It was so hard to say no to the thing I wanted for many, many moons. I was, I was so frustrated, you know, cause I wanted this for so long and I, I just had to say no on a few of them cause they weren't, they weren't right. And I'm really glad I did because I'm doing this with a wonderful company and wonderful people and under ideal conditions and in an ideal time. So just know out there if you're listening and shit ain't working out for you, there's generally... I don't, I don't believe everything happens for a reason. I don't believe in um, trivializing suffering that way in the human ex- experience. And I know a lot of fuckers say things to you like, uh, well, everything happens for a reason. No, no, it doesn't. No, not really. I mean, there are countless senseless tragedies that occur on earth right now. Something terrible just happened. Uh, somebody, some village in the Sudan was just set on fire for no fucking reason. Some baby just fell down a well. Um, you know, some another season 500 of some sitcom I hate just got renewed. So 
there's a lot of senseless tragedy. And I think it's a human inclination to shore things up to, well, everything happens for a reason. No. But what does happen, honestly, is that you go, well, why did that happen? Was that was that me? Was that them? Was that a combination of things? Am I sabotaging myself? Is there something I can do better the next time this thing comes around? Because one thing I do know is that it always comes around again. Uh, you know, not everything in life. There are certain things that have narrow windows. Uh, fertility is one of those. Not to say that if you're an old bitch like me, it can't happen through science, but I'm just saying it gets a little harder. Um, what else? Like I said on past episodes, you can't become an astronaut past a certain age. You can't join the military past 28, I believe it is, to be a Marine. There's shit, there's shit you can't do. But for the most part, things do come around again in some way, shape, or form. And if you, uh, and if you do it right, if you think about it long enough and how you can make it better, I do believe you can redeem yourself on certain things. So there you go. Even the bad stuff comes around again. That's the crazy part. Okay, that's the fucking crazy part is that here's the, here's what I've discovered is that if you don't work out, like this is the reason I preach therapy on this show. I mean, they should, the fucking American Medical Association or the some shrink association needs to give me money for plugging that everybody go see a therapist. But um, the truth of it is if you don't deal, if you don't get your life, if you don't get your life on the stuff that's making you spin out, act out, eat too much, gamble, have sex with strangers, etc., etc., you're going to attract the same people in your life over and over. They're going to allow you to replay these fucking dramas until you figure it out, until you get clean, until you get clear on your dramas, right? Until you get all Mary Berry on that shit, which we discussed last week on the Great British Baking Show. Thank you. A bastion of philosophical and emotional truths is what the Great British Baking Show is. Mary Berry can tolerate Paul Hollywood, her her snide adolescent co-host, because I believe she's worked out her drama. She is uh, rubbed, as they say by the Buddhists, life has has sandpaper that bitch down. She's ground down. Some motherfuckers can't push those buttons. They can't push them. And what I've learned as a mother now, I don't call myself a mom. I'm a mom. Because mom implies cuddly, cute, soft, passive, uh, you know, kind of a bullshit commodification of what the job is. Because let me tell you, any bitch has had a baby knows uh, you're a mother. I'm talking old school You're a fucking Marine, okay? Because your ass is up at six in the morning, whether or not you feel like it, whether you're sick, you got a fever, guess what? Your kid's got the fever now too, and you're up and you're dealing with it, and you do it. You fucking do it. You wake up, you you get that kid up, you make breakfast, and during breakfast, you make that kid the chicken McNuggets or whatever it is that you're going to give him for lunch because you got to think two steps ahead because you're a goddamn mother, not a mom, a mother. You say no to that kid. You set your boundaries. You change the damn diapers. You do everything because you're a mother. But what I've learned so far as a to- as the mother of a toddler is that uh, toddlers are just built. They're designed to push your buttons karmically. I'm speaking philosophically. These that's all they do is they're wired 
to get on every nerve. And I'm not just talking about like spilling stuff and it agitates you. That's on a surface level. That's Hollywood shit. That's what moms deal with. Oh my God. If I have to watch one more like mom jokey thing that's totally half true, like, oh, it's so hard being a mom. My kid barfed on me today and I cleaned up poop again. Like, well, yeah, that's what happens every day. That's part of the gig. And it's not that fucking big of a deal, really. I mean, look, I talk about my shit uh, compulsively on your mom's house because I think it's funny and it's fine. That stuff is like, you know, JV squad mothering. I'm talking about uh, your kid says or does or acts in a way that unconsciously, unconsciously activates the shit out of you and your childhood drama And now you're all panicked and freaked out and full of anxiety or anger or whatever it is, but you don't know why. You just know that you're really stressed out of this little kid that's just being themselves. And now you got to go into your shrink's office and figure out why you're all spun out because your toddler decides to spill water on the floor and look at you and laugh. That's motherhood, okay? The mom stuff is all bullshit Hollywood. Parenting, real parenting, and this goes for the dads too, is about this little being who you love unconditionally. And I didn't even know the meaning of unconditional love until I squirted a person out of my vagina. But the, 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 the unconditional bit is that you love them despite their being little chaos making uh, shit machines. You love them because they're chaos making shit machines, not the good stuff. I mean, you love them because they're kissy and they're adorable and they're awesome and you know, of course. Yeah. But it's the other stuff. And you, I'm telling you, that's the one thing that I had no idea with parenting. It's like you're, that's unconditional. And that is the the rarest form is parent and child. Okay. That's the real deal. That's it. That's pure love. Love, despite the bullshit, the, uh, the dramas, the heartaches, all that stuff. Now, the other love that you have for spouses, friends, that's just conditional. That is like, Hey, if your spouse doesn't meet these needs, this criterion for what a relationship should be, you can be like, nah, boo, we're done. But your kid, whatever love is between a parent and a child, that is like, that is other level. I mean, that is varsity level love, dude, because they're not cool. They're not cool to you. Toddlers are not cool. They're so shitty. They're so, (laughs) they're just so bad. And they love it. They laugh. My kid loves pushing my buttons. That the, that's the game we play all day is what, what can he get away with? What can I get away with? And it makes me laugh. I mean, I know that I'm probably should be stricter, but that's the problem with being a comic and a parent is that that kid does stuff and I'm too busy laughing. Like, um, you know, I'm too busy laughing and then I'll have to be like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm supposed to tell you not to do that. All right. Like he literally grabbed a can of soda, pours it out, looks at me and smiles the other day on my wooden floor. And I was, I laughed the whole time. I was like, you, you gotta be shitting me. And then I did snap into like, oh yeah, no, that's not, that's not good. You're not supposed to be doing that. I'm your mother. You're not supposed to be doing that. Okay. So that's my uh, thing. So I also had this other thing happen. I wanted to bring up, I, I listened again to uh, Paul Gilmartin's podcast on codependency, codependency and boundaries. I believe it was episode 322 of the mental illness happy hour, Paul Gilmartin, mental illness happy hour. If you like this show, I guarantee you're going to love his show. He does not make me endorse him in any way, shape, or form, but I believe what his he's doing is such a service to humanity. Go check out his website. You can read anonymous surveys that people do when they tell all their truth, the gory details 
of being molested, of being abused, of dealing with death and grief and anxiety. And it's so wonderful because I just, um, you know, it's the, the, the weirder, oogier side of human existence. And it's just never, it's, it's so weird that we've never addressed those things in a, in a really meaningful way until the internet, until now, until you and I can fucking go and read anonymous surveys by people who feel and think the same crazy stuff we do. And I think it's so fucking rad. So I was listening to um, the codependency episode and I thought, cause I got into something with, um, with a family member uh, where I'm not going to be specific, but like basically it was like, uh, I basically, antis- I was, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. It was one of those things where I was like, okay, that the, they haven't, uh, we haven't texted about this thing coming up and, uh, I'm afraid what they're going to say. Da, da, da. And I found myself going through a rehearsal in my head of like, well, if I do this, then they're going to do that. And then I'll do this. And then that will result will happen. And ba 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 ba. And, um, that's not good when you're, <laughs> when you're, preparing for the other shoe to drop with another human being, anticipating someone else's stuff that they're going to say to you, fearing it, getting full of anxiety over it. Um, and then essentially living and letting it affect you and letting it get through into what you're doing every day. So I thought I would do a little bit on codependency because that is a codependent trait. And that is uh, a learned behavior I've figured out from, guess what, childhood. Okay, so uh, let's break it down. Um, if you were parentified as a child, what does that mean? That means that you were put in the parent's role where your children were the child, meaning um, needy emotionally, where you were not allowed to be a disobedient toddler. So let's say, for instance, same scenario, Kid dumps an entire can of soda on the floor looking at you and laughing uh, instead of the adult being like, okay, what? Mm-hmm. that's a no. And just, you know, letting it kind of go. You may have been yelled at, disciplined, treated as an adult, right? As opposed to the toddler, the toddler brain that you inhabited or child's brain that you had. You were expected to act like a, an adult and uh, either you probably you had your feelings denied a lot, and then there's probably an element of caregiving, where uh, you're responsible for the parents' emotional needs, right? Um, in this episode of the Mental Illness Happy Hour, Paul Gilmartin and this therapist discuss the example um, in the movie Black Swan. The therapist brings up. There's and, and I hope like you guys I know you fucking seen this movie, right? <laughs> Natalie Portman gets a part in the fucking ballet and uh, she had to do some stuff. She didn't feel good about to get it, blah, blah, blah. And she comes home and she is talking to her mother who they are enmeshed in some codependent nightmare relationship. And uh, Natalie Portman's like, oh my God, mom, I totally got the part in the ballet. And then their mom was all like, oh yeah, well, here's a strawberry cake. I know you love strawberry cake. Now, uh, surprise, Nellie Portman is a ballerina and they um, have eating disorders usually. I mean, shit, to be 80 pounds and stand on your toes, you probably should only weigh like 80 pounds max if you're going to stand on your toes. Um, 
but so she has an eating disorder and so she sees the cake come out and of course it's like hmm I can see you can see her wheels like I can't eat that and she's like mm, I don't know mom I don't know if I should eat that cake and so mom goes well great I'll just throw it out then like out of her fucking crazy mind and then Natalie Portman goes uh, oh no mom it's okay I'll eat it so what happened there well Mom made it about her, right? She couldn't get out of her own stuff, her own need uh, to make Natalie Portman responsible for her feeling better about herself for buying the cake, whatever, whatever, being validated. And she took Natalie Portman's refusal of the cake as a personal slight and lives out that drama with the daughter, right? And then Natalie Portman feeling the need to take care of the parent, which is what that is, is like, oh, no, let me assuage your bad feelings. I'm going to take care of you emotionally. I'll just eat the damn cake. So in doing that, basically, she, A, negates her feelings, right? Like, hey, I'm not worth having needs. Granted, it's an eating disorder. She should probably just fucking eat the cake. But, uh, you know, she doesn't want to eat the cake, but she swallows that metaphorically and, uh, and helps mom feel good about herself for the stupid cake. And there you go. And there's the birth of codependency. And that drama gets replayed over and over and over in different forms and ways in people's lives. And then they grow up and they get into relationships that mirror this exact shitty dynamic, right? Uh, or one of you is responsible for the other one's life essentially that's why you said you hear but this is the thing with codependency which i did not understand i always thought it was only in relationship to like alcoholics and stuff you, you know like you always hear this word thrown around um in alcoholics anonymous like, codependent you're so codependent and i'm like what does that mean does that just mean that people are always together that's what i always thought i thought it just meant that like um people spent too much time together and apparently it's a lot more than that so let's start with wikipedia shall we uh, codependency is a type of dysfunctional helping relationship where one person supports or enables, there's that AA word, another person's drug addiction, alcoholism, gambling addiction, poor mental health, immaturity. So here's where we extend that idea. So it's not just about addictions, but about uh, supporting somebody with poor mental health, immaturity, irresponsibility, or underachievement. Among the core characteristics of codependency, the most common theme is an excessive reliance on other people for approval and a sense of identity. So let's get into it. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't get it. What, how do I know that I'm a codependent? Okay, let's go for it. Uh, I found a handy dandy list online that tells you here's 16 ways to know you're a codependent, 16 signs. Okay. Number one, you are human glue. You keep everything from falling apart. Dependability is your trademark. You are everybody's go-to person at work. You are the rock of your family. You are a confidant to your friends. The weight of the world is on your shoulders. Two, you are most often your last priority. Me time never seems to happen. Sure, you would love a day at the spa or a weekend getaway, but everyone else's issues seems to come up. Three, you avoid confrontation most of the time. You are a peacekeeper to the point it may hurt. Wait, you are a peacekeeper to the point it may hurt? Uh, I don't think that's right. I think it's you are a peacekeeper to the point that it may hurt. To the point that, anyway, you quietly walk away from the conversations you replay 100 times over in your mind. 
The word no rarely exists in your vocabulary, and you find yourself often roped into scenarios of being the do-gooder, confronting authority figures such as professor, bosses, law enforcement, or in-laws instantly evokes inner fear. God damn it. Okay. You rarely ask for help. Maybe you are conditioned to handling your own problems that you rarely ask for support. You are your own soul support system. Humor or intellectualism may be a way of masking your own vulnerability. You are the last person to ask for a favor or reach out for assistance, even when it is truly needed. Five, making decisions can be difficult. While you may rarely ask for help, you often seek the opinions of others. Self-trust is not your strong suit. Advice, advice from what to wear or what plans to make may be opinions you frequently seek. What others think matters. Making a wrong choice is humiliating. When you misstep, you almost instantly feel like a bad person. Ooh, I've talked about that before, that distinction of being somebody that failed at doing something versus feeling like a failure, like the ability to just, just, um, what's the word, uh, separate out doing something versus being something bad. That's a fucking big one. Okay, here we go, guys. Buckle up. God, where was this list when I was 16? Number six, you attract a, you attract a partner. No, you attract or partner with addicts or narcissists. (laughs) In a relationship, your partner takes the wheel while you sit in the sidecar. You are the Robin to your Batman. You are the Yoko to your John. It just so happens that you seem to pick the more complicated variety of partner. Your partner may have a drinking or substance abuse issue. They may exhibit narcissistic traits. Whatever the backstory may be, your partner is usually center stage while you may find yourself playing a supporting role in your own life story. Okay, you often feel used. You give freely and generously until your cup runneth empty. When there is nothing more to give, you become severely exhausted, withdrawn, or depressed. You may even become angry at everyone else for taking from you at your own expense. You have fewer social connections. Your work or spouse is so consuming, time for other friendships is minimal. You may find that the few friends you have do not really seem to understand you. Friends may chastise you for doing too much. They may not like your partner. You often feel judged and fairly unfairly criticized. Ooh, your relationship becomes all-consuming. It may be hard to find that special someone, but when you think you have, you fall hard. You may find yourself helping your partner run their business better, put the pieces of some aspect of their life back together, or follow a dream of theirs before you follow your own aspirations. <laughs> Human fixer-uppers are your thing. Oh my God. I tell you, if I had a dollar for every woman I know that did that one, Ay, 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 maron. Low self-esteem is a reality. You may have the best job, a sharp wit, or be in great shape, but you are your own worst critic. In your past, you may have been on the receiving end of belittling by a parent, loved one, or in a prior relationship. These past criticisms still echo somewhere inside of you. You have no idea how to accept a compliment. Didn't I talk about this a little bit last week uh, in relation to the silly ankle socks thing, right? You are living in the past, living in North Korea versus living in South Korea. We right? You can take the guy out of North Korea and uh, put him in South Korea, but in his mind, he's still in North Korea. So you're living in the past. You're living in the shit that you heard as a kid. 
Okay. 11, being alone scares you. God damn it. How many comics do I know that have that problem? Although you are used to depending on yourself, the idea of being alone is frightening. The fear of being alone may even make staying in a challenging relationship seem like the better choice. Yes. The desire to please is real. Perhaps you are the best party planner and entertainer. You may write the longest, most detailed thank you notes with the neatest penmanship. You just may grant more favors to friends and acquaintances than a fairy godmother. You receive commendations for your stellar commitment to details and you appreciate each small piece of approval. All right. Your partner's problems are your problems. You work harder on solving your partner's problems than they do. Boundaries are blurred. You often feel the need to control. You may even become frustrated, sad, or angry when your advice is not followed. 14, someone else holds the keys to your happiness. If if only your partner would stop drinking so much, or if only your spouse would be more financially accountable, life would be on track. If there are conditions that need to be met, Oh my God, this, this is a grammatically incorrect. If there are conditions that need to be met for you to be happy, that's not even a proper sentence, but I mean, I think they're trying to say that their need, your happiness is conditional, right? Everyone else has to do what you want them to do and then you'll be happy. God damn it, I should have written this. Your future seems foggy. You can easily sketch a roadmap for success in someone else's life, but you doubt your ability to make it happen in your own. You are so busy that it is difficult to do justice to most any of your responsibilities. Okay, so there you go. And by the way, it said 16 and they only listed 15. Motherfucker. But they're right. I like these, so I'm going to give them some slack. So did you hear any of those? Did any of that resonate as you're listening to this? And I feel like, oh, like everybody I know, <laughs> this is one of those things where you're like, oh, shit. Most of us are walking around with a few of these sprinkled in patterns. Okay, so I'm not going to do it all today. I just thought we'd start with that discussion. I'm going to move into emails now, but uh, mull on that, chew on that, because I think codependency, like I said, has always been linked to AA, at least in my mind, and I did not know that it's really not just about um, having an alcoholic partner. It can be about being with a loser, (laughs) apparently it sounds like, or just someone who's a, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a shit heel and you're, 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 you're there, you're, you're taking it in, which is crazy. Okay. But let, next week, maybe, um, we'll go into boundaries and how to assert them. And what does that fucking mean? I feel like I've heard, uh, the word boundaries and everything for years and years and years. And until I started listening to that Paul Gilmartin podcast, I really did not have an understanding of them apparently. Uh, yeah, there you go. Okay. So let's go into emails. This is very interesting. The one that this came in, I really like this one. I'm going to share this with you. Okay. Hello, Christina. Uh, let's see. She's written. This is a second time writer, uh, writer to the podcast. Thank you for writing in again, Miss Samantha. I need some help getting my life. I just graduated college in May. As part of my major, I am required to have a 480-hour internship. Oh, my God. That's so many hours. Uh, I have to complete this by August 1st. I tried so hard to get a paid internship, but in social work, there are not many paid internships. So now I have to work during my internship. My internship is about 40 hours a week and work at my job, and I work at my job most evenings. 
I really don't want to sound like a crybaby right now. I know that there are people that work harder than me and do not complain, but I feel so overwhelmed. Can I, what do we know? Number one, guys, what do we know from listening to the show? Is that I swear you guys are, I love you all. I love you, love. I send love. And it's so interesting how everyone that writes in, and I know you've got to be in some amount of pain to send an email to a slap dick comedian like me <laughs> to get advice on life. You must be in so much pain. And so often it's like, I feel like you guys are so afraid to own the suffering, you know, like, like I'm not entitled to, cause my problems aren't, you know, that I'm this like African lady who can't get fresh water every day from a well, like, no, it's okay. You, you can have first world problems. You can have, you know, graduate, graduate college, newly boo-boo 20 something problems. It's fine. It's, it is a big deal. And if you're overwhelmed and you're upset, you're entitled to that. So let's start there by, uh, you're allowed to have needs. I give you all permission to have needs and I give you all permission to feel your feelings. How about that? You got it. Okay. Excuse me. So she goes on to say yesterday, June 11th was my first day off since May 17th. I can't even enjoy my day off because of the anxiety thinking about all the things I should be doing. I feel guilty for wanting to call off today, but today I will be working about 16 hours and I just want to be at home. My boyfriend and I live together and he is becoming increasingly frustrated with all the pressure that now has pushed that has been pushed onto him. He also works full time and has pretty much had to take over everything. He also ends up paying for most things because I make shit money at my job. I feel like I'm going to lose him. He has sacrificed so much for me since I have been in college, but with both of us working, we can just keep ourselves from drowning. I think what gets to him the most is never seeing me. I am gone at least 16 hours most days. And it's hard to get in some quality time. I am consumed with the overwhelming feeling of guilt. He has made it known that he is struggling with this, saying that he hopes all of this will be worth it. I'm going into social work, one of the lowest paying jobs. What if all of this isn't worth it? I am loving my internship and wishing that's, that is all I had to do. Do you have any advice or words of wise? Wow. Samantha. Did you hear that? Kittens. Did you hear that? She's worried about her fucking boyfriend. Did you get that? She's busting her ass. Hasn't had a fucking day off since June 11th. She's got to do 480 hours to complete this internship by August 1st so that she can get her degree in social work, get her life, live her fucking dream. This woman is in the last lap of getting her life. And what is she worried about? Not her own exhaustion, not her own life, the fucking boyfriend. Okay, now... Uh, look, boo-boos, I've said this to you before. God damn it. And I'm going to say it again to the young women listening. Don't live with your fucking boyfriends. Okay. And here's why. And I, I'm not going to chastise you, Samantha, personally. This will be a generalized thing. Here's why. Your boyfriend is just a fucking rent a dick. He's just there. He's there on, uh, it's not unconditional love, boo-boos. It's like, uh, I'm kind of in this. But I can move out whenever shit doesn't feel right. And the love is really based on whether or not I'm getting my needs met. And if they're not met, then I can just take off at any time. Now, a husband, a husband is your ride or die boo, right? He's the fucking one 
who now he's family. That's what I'm saying. You go down to the courthouse, you go to your church, you, in front of other people, you swear and declare your love and allegiance to that other human. And now that person has your back for the rest of your life. That's different than just the guy that lives with you, your boyfriend, who, yeah, who you love. And I'm sure he's a great person. I'm not shitting on people's boyfriends or nothing. But the point is, if this is between you and a husband, let me tell you something. A few months 480 hours worth of an internship, that ain't going to put a dent in the marriage. And any, I mean, yes, you guys will suffer. It's going to suck. He's going to be grouchy with you. You're going to have to make it up to him. And some people do this for years, by the way, in a marriage where one person is off in another state, another country, and they see each other on the weekends and it's for, you know, they're going through med school or whatever. But when you're married, the two of you are two mommies and one jeans, one pair of jeans, and you guys come together and you figure it out. And it's not about him paying for me or I'm paying for that. He paying. No, 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 no. Because when you're married, it's all in one communal pot. This is your life. The two of you are helping each other now realize your goals. And your husband doesn't go, God, I hope this is worth it. All your, uh, <laughs> your little dreams, all your pesky little dreams of being a social worker. I hope this works out. No, but a boyfriend will say that shit. Your husband goes, yeah, babe, this is what you want to do. Great. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, it's going to be lean for a minute. I'm going to work a little harder here. Let's cut back some of your hours at night so you don't feel super stressed out. It's going to suck. Laundry won't get done. We may not have any fancy dinners. We're going to suffer. But then there's a timeline. There's a, a, a deadline. So August 1st and you're free. That's not that far. It's two months from now. So that's my lecture on not living with a fucking rent a dick. Go get your real dick. Go get the real one that cares about you like a family member. I'm telling you, there's a distinction. There's a difference. Okay, so now that lecture's over. What are we going to do now, Samantha? Because you're in it. You're already there. So now you're saying on top of just worrying about getting your personal, your, your sorry, your professional life, now the anxiety is but I'm also going to lose my boyfriend. My boyfriend's going to walk if I keep doing this. Well, well first of all, uh, then fuck him. Sorry, was that too? <laughs> fuck him. Because you've written to me before. I have a little bit of a precedence with you. You fucking love social work. You love what you do. You love your internship. It's what makes you feel alive. It what gives you purpose. It's, it's meaningful. It's wonderful. And if he can't wrap his head around that, then that's not cool. That's not cool at all. And he knows what he's getting into with a social worker as a wife or a girlfriend. He knows you're not doing it for money. So that's on him, dude. You know what I'm saying? You feel what I'm talking about? Okay. Now, how can we mitigate the damage? So here's the good news. The good news is you're out by August 1st. There's a deadline. You're, you're out. And now you're on to your life. You've gotten your life. Congratulations, by the way. That's a major, major thing. And thank you for doing social work. I think that is a wonderfully noble profession. And I think it's fantastic. And I'm absolutely a thousand percent proud of you. And I think it's amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay. So now it is worth it. Of course it's worth it. You're only doubting yourself because you're afraid of losing your boyfriend right now and shit sucks. And what is that at the fucking, the odyssey, right? At the end, isn't it? When Homer stops with the sirens and then he ends up tacking on 10 years. And isn't that in a, in a, in a Smith song, isn't the last mile, the hardest mile. There's reasons. It's because you're, the ego will fuck with you. Your mind fucks with you when you're close to being successful and when you're close to failing. 
That's when your brain starts playing tricks on you, okay? So no, no, expect it. The closer you get to your goals or the closer you get to losing your goals, the mind will tell you nasty shit. Your brain will tell you things like, you're going to be alone. If you, if you get this goal, he's not going to love you because you're not going to make enough money. He's going to... You're going to be alone. You're going to be a barren spinster. You're going to be unhappy. You're not going to have enough money. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it, right? That's what your brain's telling you right now. Well, don't listen to your fucking brain. Just finish it. You're there. Just finish it. Go through with it. You can do this. Now, secondly, you can't serve all masters all the time. It's not possible. Something must be sacrificed, okay? So you can't work full-time in the night and then full-time in the day and do everything at home. It's not... it's not working. It's not working. You got to cut down. I would recommend cutting down on the jobby job time. Sorry. Um, until you, you know, if you get fired, okay, well now you've got your degree in social work so you can go somewhere else. I don't know what you do at a night at the night job. Uh, cut down your hours. You need to sleep. You need to rest. You need to recharge. You need to eat. You need to shit. You need to exercise. You need to do all these things. Don't do the laundry. Guess what? That's going to suffer. You're not cooking. Uh, If you can, get your groceries delivered on Amazon Prime. Do that. Make your life easier where you can. Don't clean your toilets for two months. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) That's how it's going to have to be. Um... Yeah. And it sounds like your boyfriend uh, has, I mean, listen, and I know when you're young, it sounds like two or three months is a long time. It's really not. It's really not. And it looks like they, you know, it's not that long. Hang in there, fucking power through it. It sucks. But like I said, if you can't cut corners in other places, go for it. Focus on the internship. Focus on the future, dude. Always. You know, there's an interesting analogy. Uh, my husband told me about driving race cars today. He said that when you're, when you're holding uh, the steering wheel of a race car, you got to put your eyes to where you want to go. Okay. In the future, like the destination, not the immediacy of the road in front of you. Because what happens when you put your eye line down to the immediacy of the road, your hands will follow. And what? You're, you're on the, the rumbles, right? And I thought that was really interesting because the whole thing is to keep your eyes on the horizon. Keep your eyes forward. So right now, the fucking wheels are falling off the car. You're tired. You're in the last few, you know, you're in the, the end of the race here. So don't fail. Do not fuck around. Don't listen to your stupid brain. And then when you're done with this, then you can reassess moving out <laughs> with your boyfriend. Kick his ass out and get a boyfriend that supports you. Get a boyfriend that's going to marry you and treat you like a fucking goddess that you are and support your dreams. And yeah, it's hard even in a marriage. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but that guy's your ride or die. Boo. You know what I'm saying? He knows that the suffering is temporary and then you're going to be happy as shit because you're going to be a social worker. It's going to be worth it. Damn. You know what I'm saying? Okay, this will be, I want to read this last email and it's really, really, really important, this email. I wanted to read it because there's so many, I get so many emails from young people in school uh, and I've had these emails before and I I don't often read them aloud because I don't know why, but uh, I wanted to do this. This is from a gentleman, a little young boy. He writes, I'm a recently 21-year-old college student And even though college is supposed to be a place where you party and make lots of friends, for me, it has been a very solitary existence experience. Sorry. This is for a couple of reasons, namely my depression. I go through a a feedback loop. 
I don't do anything because I'm depressed. Then I get depressed because I never do anything. In the last six months or so, it's gotten frighteningly bad, worse than ever before. And I'm concerned that staying alone with it will drive me to boozing, which I've done every day since my birthday solely to make depression stop. One of the big problems I have is telling people about my problems or what I'm going through. I just don't see why they'd care. I constantly debate posting something on Facebook too. I don't know. Let people know how bad it's gotten for me. But then I think that I'm just being an attention whore and there's no use worrying everyone at work where we're all really close because of the nature of our job. People go through shit all the time and I always hear about it. Everyone's always there for each other. They know how to talk to each other about serious things or express concern about other coworkers and what they're going through. But I don't think anyone knows what I'm going through. Part of me wants it to stay that way. I don't want to be seen as a suicidal person. I don't want people to feel like I am at any second. I'm just going to run off and kill myself. I don't want them to treat me any different. But I also don't want to deal with this alone. So how do I reach out to others? I can't just say, hey, Carly, how are you? Oh, I'm awful. Yeah, you know, I've been suicidally depressed for the last six months. I spend every day hating myself with a fury. (laughs) I didn't think possible. With a fury, I didn't think possible, and I just wish it would all end already. Like, I don't know how to have that conversation with someone or how to even approach the subject. All I know is that I really need someone to talk to, and I know therapy is essentially what I'm talking about. I've been researching therapists who specialize in my specific disorders. My problem is that I couldn't possibly afford a therapist at the moment, no insurance. So I'm waiting until I either get a better job or save enough money to afford to go regularly for a while. So anyway, I appreciate you and what you're doing. And thank you for reading my ranty depression story. Thanks, Dylan. So I wanted to read that because I get a lot of these emails and um, I wanted to share it. I wanted to share it because I just wanted Dylan to know that A... Uh, I get a lot of these emails and you're not alone. And there's a lot of people your age and in your situation who feel very similar to the way you feel. And I know it's, it's hard to reach out. I imagine because you feel very alone, right? You're very, it's very lonely being depressed and being, um, and it sounds like you're a little suicidal and whew, okay. Uh, that's a really lonely place to be. That's a very lonely place. And it is so hard to be like, uh, hey guys, what are, you, what are we talking about? The game? <laughs> I want to kill myself. Yeah, I know. I know. It's weird, it's weird to even, uh, how do you say that? And I get it. I, I really, uh, I do understand a lot. And it feels really hopeless when you're that depressed. That's really the, the tough part is the hopelessness, the alienation, the loneliness, and then the oddness of saying something to somebody about all of these things. Because the thing is, uh, as a young person, I was very depressed. And yes, I was suicidal when I was 14 years old. I don't really talk about that one because it's embarrassing. But I will tell you that because I want you to know that it's possible to grow up and be a 40-year-old and have a successful life. And yes, be a 21-year-old that fucking hates everything. I'm just letting you know there's hope. Um, and here's the problem with your situation, Mr. Dillon, is that you're 21 and your peer group, unfortunately, they're not the ones to go to for this issue that you have. And I don't want to treat depression and suicidal thoughts and all this stuff 
lightly because it's not a fucking light thing. It's a very, very serious, serious thing. Uh, one thing that a comedian cannot entirely help you with, but I can help identify feelings. I can identify with you, which is why I'm sharing this and reading this. Uh, and that's a problem when you're young and depressed and freaked out and lonely and you don't know who to turn to because kids your age, they're not going to help you. When I was 14, fucked up. What, what are you going to tell your, your friend that's 14 and fucked up that you feel certain? <laughs> they're not going to help you. Your, your peers are not, not really qualified. And it's so crazy. And I know you say you look for therapists. I have to, I have to tell you that your school probably has some kind of a free thing. I know you're a student. So I would look at school, reach out at school for a therapist and Google. This is for everybody listening. Who's like, I want, I want to see a therapist, but it's too expensive. I don't have insurance. You don't need it. You don't need insurance to go see a shrink. Here's what you need to do. Google, uh, therapy, therapist, Plus sliding scale. That is the term sliding scale. It means that you pay a therapist what you can afford to pay them. I'm telling you at one point in my life, I paid $20 a session to see the therapist that I see now as an adult who I pay full price to because over the years we, you know, I, I made money and now I can afford to pay her. Thank God. And it was worth every penny. There's a million excuses why people do not get their lives and get into therapy. I'm too busy. There's not enough money. I don't have insurance. I don't have a car, whatever. And you can keep making the excuses uh, until you're miserable and, you know, 400 pounds and an alcoholic and whatever. (laughs) The point is there's always a resource available for people who cannot afford therapy. Trust me. Now, I know, judging by your email address, it looks like you're in a major city. If I, if I know where this school is, I'm not going to say where, but uh, it's a major city. So there's definitely resources for free, 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 free places, okay? You really have to reach out, in a, not to your peers, I'm sorry, but to somebody who's a licensed professional for something as serious as what you're talking about. Oh, I know. At the very least, is there at least one person you can confide in? Is there some other person you relate to? I mean, I know when I was in the throes of my adolescent depression, uh, there was at least like one girl that I could talk to or one teacher. I would say go reach out to an older person. I don't think that the 21-year-olds are going to help you on this one, Dylan. Find the cool teacher at your school. You know, Find the, the one teacher that you think gets it maybe start there because I have one teacher I'll never forget in like ninth grade when I was just at the height, the, I should say the depths of despair. And oh my God, I just wanted to fucking end it all. And the only highlight of my life was watching Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> and, and, uh, this teacher, this teacher was depressive too. I could tell. And, uh, and she could see me. You know, like she was one of those cool teachers that could see you as a person and not just see you as a miserable teenager, but she actually saw like kind of what was going on with me. And, uh, she pulled me aside and asked me like, Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? And I was eating a bag of Skittles for breakfast and she was like, you shouldn't be eating uh, Skittles for breakfast. Are you sleeping enough? No. Try going to bed at least a half an hour earlier is what she told me. Try sleeping just a half an hour early. And I did that and it helped. I stopped eating Skittles for breakfast um, you know, I wish, I wish she had, uh, told me to seek counseling, but she didn't, uh, but she did help. 
The point is, at least talking to somebody a little bit older and wiser helped. Uh, Dylan, I wish I could just uh, fucking give you a hug, buddy. So this is my, my podcast hug to you and Google search therapy sliding scale. That's the big, the, the big word for everybody who cannot afford it. You got to make, listen, just from a personal, if I don't go to my shrink, the whole week falls apart. That thing, that appointment is the biggest priority on my calendar. It really is. It is the one thing in my life that is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable because if my head ain't right, if your mind ain't right, your emotions ain't right, how can anything else be together? Everything you do is spinning out of control if you're not going and, and you know, sharing your, your stuff with uh, someone else who can kind of like, do, 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 well, maybe that's not exactly right thinking there. And, and just kind of, you know what? I feel such a sense of relief when I get out of there. I feel a sense of like, oh, okay, yeah, I was confused about this and now that's kind of, oh, wow, and I can, I can go think about this now. Like it just, it makes your life so much clearer and, and alleviates so much unnecessary suffering you know, because there's no need to suffer in this lifetime, boo-boos. There's no need. There's no need to hold on to this stuff. There's no need to be depressed. You're 21. You're, you're a student. You've got your whole life ahead of you. And, and it, trust me, it, there's no way it can stay horrible forever. <laughs> it feels that way, but uh, it, it, it will get better. It just sucks being young. I think that's just it. If fucking everyone everyone um, fetishizes being young. And it's quite possibly the shittiest time of your life. It's fucking terrible. I, I fucking hate it. If I could delete the first 20 years of my life, for now, first 25, I met Tom. Okay, when did I meet Tom? When I was like 26. Okay, so let's delete the first 25 years. <laughs> Can I just start as a human at 26 or 25? That sounds about right. Because everything's so painful. You, you know, you still kind of have a child's mind. You're not really... You're not quite there yet, um, but you're going to be there. Dylan, you're going to be there and you're not alone. Believe me, your peers are probably going through a lot of the same stuff, but they, they're not able to articulate it. That's, that's what I'm trying to tell you is that they're just not, you haven't lived enough. Um, they, don't, they don't know what they're feeling a lot of times. They don't really know every, everything, how to deal with stuff. It's not their fault. Find a cool older teacher, someone you trust, someone you like, someone that likes you. And uh, maybe start there and find something on campus. Do that. I remember I, at my school, there was counseling for, for that kind of stuff too. Like when you felt bad, 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 scary, alone, sad feelings. There was like a, a phone number or whatever that you can call. And there always is phone numbers, the suicide prevention hotline, stuff like that. I don't know if you're there yet. And I pray that you are not. Uh, but yes, therapy, sliding scale. Okay. 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 I want to work on boundaries next week. We'll get there. Uh, in the meantime, email me. That's deep podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for watching me on YouTube. YouTube. Thank you. Hello fresh for being a sponsor of my show. Thank you for everybody listening. Um, have a great week and we'll do this again. We'll do this again next week after I, uh, well, I don't want to date myself. After I'm back. Okay, guys. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with. Philosophize with.
It's Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.